When talking about friendship, can we start here this morning? The experts, the sociologists, the psychologists will tell you that we live in a day and age that is marked by a loneliness epidemic, a loneliness epidemic. Back in March of 2020, a study released by Cigna Medical Insurance came out, and what it found, what it stated, what it relayed is that three in five Americans struggle with loneliness. Not feel loneliness, not have experienced loneliness, but struggle with loneliness. What's causing this? Well, as we've looked at this epidemic, here's what we found. I'm just going to give you two causes, two of many. First, I think all of us know something of stress and isolation in our workplace. As telecommuting has become more popular, we're, we're dissociated from other people. As we retire, we become dissociated from other people. But even for those of us who go to work and are around other people, reports show that a lot of people feel like they have to hide their true self at work. Why? so they can be in line for promotion, so they can be seen as a good fit. Work is one driver in our loneliness. What's a second driver? It's social media. Isn't that ironic? Like we go to social media to feel connected to other people, but as we do, we see these idealized pictures of happy times, and we think, we think that other people have it better than us. They've got more comments, more shares, they've got more likes, they get more retweets, or look at their happy life, or look, wait, those are my three friends. They're hanging out. They didn't invite me, right? It can cause us to feel lonely. And here's the thing about loneliness. We're starting to understand that it takes a physical toll on your body. Researchers, medical researchers will say that loneliness takes more of a toll on your body in the long term than obesity does. I was like, <laughs> Here's another one. Here's the one that really got me. Here's the one, the statistic that jumped off the page and grabbed my attention. Medical researchers say that chronic unresolved loneliness, constantly being in a state of loneliness, takes more of a toll on your health through depression, through anxiety, and through stress. It takes more of a toll on your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. No, I didn't say go out and light them up. <laughs> Here's the thing, it takes a toll, it takes a toll, and what's the antidote? I think it's obvious. The antidote is friendship, right? We as Christians have a wonderful opportunity in this country through the vehicle of friendship to bring lots of healing to people's lives. We have a wonderful opportunity through friendship to go out and do some deep, meaningful evangelism and see people become friends with God. But here's the thing, we all need help with friendships. Friendships are messy, they're awkward, they're hard. We need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom to know what kind of friendships to pursue. How to make a friend, right? How to maintain a friendship. Well, good news in our text today, we get lots of help on the topic of friendship. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 is going to be our keystone verse and our launch pad into other Proverbs on the topic of friendship. Let's go there now. Let's read from God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen. 
Amen. Oh, friends, we need help with friendship, and help is on the way. How do we break this down? How do we get at this? Where are we going this morning on this topic of friendship? Here's the three different places we're going to to learn, to grow, and to explore. Number one, we are going to see our need to pursue deep friendships. Our need to pursue deep friendships. Number two is this. We need to know how to forge deep friendships. The third and final thing we will see is this. We need to be grounded in the deepest possible relationship, friendship there is. Pursue, forge, grounded. That's where we're going this morning. Let's go to our first point. Let's look at our need to pursue deep friendships. You know, before we go to the text, I think we all kind of intuitively understand that some friends are like, closer than other friends. Like, right, we understand some people we're just never gonna click with, some people are thicker than skin, right? Here's the thing, the Bible actually acknowledges that truth. It affirms that truth, but the Bible goes a step further. It shows us what kind of friendships we should have as our close friendship. It speaks to our need for close friendships, and then it starts to show us how to make them. Look at our verse, look at verse eight, chapter 18, look at verse 24. Look at that first line in our text. Do you see it? Where it says, companions, companions. When you lived in ancient Israel, you needed lots of companions. You needed lots of partnerships. It was hard to make it on your own back then. And because it was hard to make it on your own, you had a greater need for mutually reinforcing partnerships, for business partners, agricultural partners, military partners, political partners. You could not make it without companions, without partners. But these companionships, these partnerships did not always evolve into deep friendship. Look at the text again. Do you see how you can have many companions, but still come to ruin. It's like this. Despite these partnerships that we have, these companionships that we have, once we cease to be useful to certain people, what happens? Boom. They're gone. And the army would say they pop smoke. They're out of there. Oh, friends, this is sad. When we learn that a relationship that we thought was deep really was just superficial and grounded in how useful I am to you. Oh, friends, we we can go even further with this. Let's look at this phrase, come to ruin. Look at that with me in the text, come to ruin. In the Hebrew, that, that can mean, that can be translated as be beaten up, be smashed, be burst asunder. This poor man in the Proverbs is watching his life crumble around him, and no one is lifting a finger to stop it. Isn't this true today? Where we can get shellacked by life, and other people can watch as this is happening, and they just turn their back, and they walk away. Now, I am not saying don't go be a companion, make companionships. No, we need partnerships. We need business partners. We need to be good neighbors. We need... um, friends and acquaintances with more skills than we have or or know-how in areas we don't have, who doesn't want a plumber or an electrician for a friend, right? Who doesn't want a cop, a lawyer, or a banker for a friend? I'm not saying 
Don't go make social networks. I'm not saying don't go make professional networks. I'm not saying don't set up support networks. What God's word is saying is do not confuse those companionships with authentic real friendship. God's word is saying don't think for a minute that just because you're surrounded by an ocean of people that that means you are surrounded by an ocean of love or an ocean of help in your day of need. That is what God's word is saying. And this first line is saying another thing. It's kind of implied and tucked away, and it's this. There's an implicit command to you and me. Not only should we value our friends and be aware of who might be out to use us, it says a godly, wise person must never bail, must not be a flake, must not give up, not, must not like pull the ripcord on a friendship. We must be a good friend as well as looking for good friends. What is a good friend? What is a true friend? Let's go to the next line in our text where it says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's, let's squeeze the washcloth on this verse. Let's start with that word friend. Do you see the word friend there in the second line? That word friend is a different Hebrew word than the Hebrew word for companion. That word friend literally translates as one who loves. A true friend is one who loves. And what does this friend, what does this one who loves do? They stick closer. They stick closer. Let's delve into that word. Let's plumb the depths of that word. Sticking closer, one word in the Hebrew. When you go to the Bible and other places that this Hebrew word is used, here's how it gives color, shade, contour, and meaning to what it means to stick closer. That word stick or cling is used of leprosy, clinging and sticking to your flesh. Gross, huh? Here's the happy version. This word stick or cling is used in Genesis 2:24 when a man leaves his mother and father and holds fast or clings to his wife. Everybody say all. There is a really cool story in the Bible of a battle and a great warrior, a man named Eliezer. This word stick or cling is used of him where after a long battle, after a hard-fought battle, where he has killed hundreds of Philistines, his hand is cramping so bad he cannot physically release his sword. It is stuck to him. He cannot let go. What kind of sticking close do we do? We don't let go. We cling. And in our verse, what do we see? We go one level further. A true friend sticks closer than who? A brother, a sister, a blood relative. Don't we all want friends like this? Don't we all want friends who will stick with us despite our faults, despite our flaws, despite our follies and our foibles? Don't we want friends who when we're in adversity, when we're in trouble, they don't lean back, they lean in harder. Don't we want friends who, even though they're busy, they either find the time or they make the time for us in our time of need? And don't we want to be a friend like that? This is the kind of deep friendship that we pursue, and this is the kind of deep friend that we must be. Can I throw two other thoughts in there? Two other thoughts that I think are very relevant to our day and age and also to this area? 
I think there's questions with friendships, and I can't answer all of them. I wrote down 13 possible questions that we could answer here. I want to hone in on two, two points. Pursuing deep friendship should also cross generational lines. Pursuing deep friendship can and should cross generational lines. Did you know? Did you know? Did you know that Mark Twain was in his 50s when he befriended Helen Keller at the age of 14? They became lifelong friends. The famous author even edited her autobiography and he would go to his rich literary patrons and make sure they paid for her education. Oh, in a day and age where it feels like we call people boomers or millennials, and it's not a compliment. We need cross-generational, intergenerational friendship. The Bible commends it in Titus chapter two. So please, by all means, go out and make friends with somebody who's not in your age bracket. You will be blessed. Let's make Grace Church that kind of a place. That's number one. Deep friendships can cross generational lines. What's number two? Number two is this. Deep friendships can cross spiritual lines. Deep friendships can cross spiritual lines. Our Savior is called the friend of sinners. He hung out with drunks, prostitutes, and tax collectors. He sought their good. He was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton because he went to parties. I find so many times two camps of thought on this. I've wrestled with these two things myself. One is, as a Christian, if I make deep friendships with a non-Christian, are they going to rub off on me more than I rub off on them? Should I do it? The answer is yes, but the second question is, well, how? How do I do this? How do I make deep friendships that cross spiritual lines? The answer is this. Go to what Jesus said are the two greatest laws, the two great laws on which all the law, all the prophets, the Ten Commandments hang. Number one is love the Lord your God with? Very good, all your heart, all your strength, all your mind. When you do that, you will never cross inappropriate lines. You will always stay within God's boundaries, even when you're fellowshipping, hanging out with a non-Christian. May I say this as well? What's the second greatest commandment? The golden rule, do unto others. Do non-Christians want dignity? Do they want respect? Do they want help with their kids when they won't go down and take a nap? Do they need help with gardening? Do they need help with their lawn, right? Would we not want that? Would they not want, do we not want invites to parties or social events? Friends, as we follow these two great commandments on which the 10 commandments, all the law hangs, as we live them out, we can make friendships with non-Christians where we rub off on them more than they rub off on you. Why? You are armed with the Holy Spirit, and he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Friends, we can cross generational lines. We can cross spiritual lines. You know, as we look at this proverb, 1824, we see that the wise, godly person learns two things, two things. When it comes to friends, this is number one. When it comes to friends, quality of relationship 
is more important than quantity of relationship. I learned a quote this week from our very own Benjamin Kramer. This is a good one. Get ready. He says, when it comes to friends, I'd rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. Isn't that the truth? That's number one. What's the second thing we learn about wisdom and friendship? We understand this. I have to be a friend like this. I have to be a friend like this. How do we do that? How do we make deep friendships? How do we maintain deep friendships? Let's go to our second point and let's look at our need to forge deep relationships. As we do this, as we move into the second point here, we actually find that there's really good godly guidance. There's really good holy help in the task of making friends and maintaining friends so that we can have those deep relationships that we find in Proverbs 18, 24. In fact, the word friend is used 15 times in the book of Proverbs. That's on average once every other chapter. The concept of friendship is present in other verses even if the word friend is not used. It is a theme, it is a big theme. Can we hit pause right there? Can we take a minute? Can we reflect on this? The fact that God cares that you have friends. The fact that he cares that you have deep friendships. Have you ever thought about that? What does that say about your God? Does that not communicate something deep about the heart of the God of the Bible? I mean, isn't that remarkable that, 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 that the Trinitarian three-in-one God wants you, wants other people to have friendships? In fact, let's think about this a little bit more. Three-in-one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, living in perfect harmony, perfect unity, perfect love, perfect relationship, and they want you, they want others to know some small slice of what that is like. Is that not a little mind-boggling? Doesn't that show you that our God is fundamentally good? Yes, he has a side where you do not mess with him, but he is warm. He is loving, he is generous, he is giving. Do you not see that God is for us, not against us? He's not like an angry father time waiting to spank you and just catch you in a deep time of trouble. If you're here and you're not a Christian, could I just say, God cares about the dysfunction in your various relationships and he wants to do something about it. Does that not change your perception of the God of the Bible. He is good, he is kind, you can come to him. So how do we have these friendships that mimic and bear the image of our Trinitarian God and the friendship that we find in heaven? You know, scholar Derek Kidner, one of my favorite commentators, Old Testament scholars, has taken the verses, the concepts, as they show up in the book of Proverbs, and he's drawn circles around them, and he's come up with what we'll call the four C's, the four C's. Here they are. He says, as you look at the verses in the Bible, you see that to be a godly, biblically wise friend, there must be constancy, there must be candor, there must be counsel, And there must be a sense of consideration and being considerate. Let's look at each one of these in turn and let's look at some of the verses that support them. The first one is constancy, constancy. It's not really a word we use much anymore, is it? 
Let's look at this concept in Scripture, and then let's unpack what it means. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Do you see where it says, a friend loves at all times? They're consistent. They're constant. They have constancy. And then look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10, where it says, do not forsake, abandon, or leave your friend or your friend's friend. There is the call of constancy. Now, what is constancy? What does this mean? It means you're faithful. It means you're dependable. You're loyal. It means you are unchanging. It means you are unwavering. It means you are not a fair-weather friend, and it means you are these things even when the other person is not that way with you. This is hard to do, but friends, when we are constant, when we show constancy, we reflect the heart of our Father in heaven who has pledged and promised to never abandon us, to never forsake us. Can I offer one quick tip? To live out constancy, what would that look like? How do I do this? Just try reaching out to someone you want to build a friendship with or maintain a friendship with. Just text them once a month, once a month. I mean, don't make it weird, right? Like, don't go creeper or stalker. But just once a month, how can I pray for you? How have you been? Just checking in. The last time we talked, you were dealing with fill in the blank. How's that going? Do you need some help? Can I pray for you about this? If we practice this, we will show constancy. Friends, the biblical view of friendship demands our constancy. That's number one. What was number two? Number two is candor. Let's look at candor now. Let's see where candor is found in the Bible. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Forward two slides. Do you see in the Bible where it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend? We must speak with candor. Now, what does that mean, to speak with candor? It means we speak with sincerity, with openness, with a degree of frankness. It means we tell people the thing they may not want to hear, but the thing they need to hear. It means we love someone so much we're more concerned about their growth in Christ and how they can be more like Jesus than we are offending them. To speak with candor does not mean that you become obnoxious, a contrarian all the time. But speaking with candor also means not just that we speak the truth, but it means when other people come to us and speak candidly, we drop our pride we drop our defense mechanisms, and we just listen, receive, we reflect, we meditate, we pray, and we take what they say and measure it against the Bible. Friends, we have to let other people in when they show candor. When we speak with candor, don't we glorify God? Don't we bear his image well? Why, how? Is he not a God of truth? In John chapter 1, we learn that our Savior Jesus came full of grace, but full of truth. We bear God's image when we speak with candor. Oh, Christian, the biblical view of friendship means we must be a people marked by candor. There's constancy, there's candor. What's number three? Number three is this. It's counsel. We must give counsel. 
Let's see this concept in the book of Proverbs. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. Do you see how oil and perfume, they make the heart glad. They bring sweet aromas into our life. But the sweetness of a friend comes from his what? His earnest counsel. What is counsel? How do we provide counsel? It sounds so obvious, but I actually want to challenge us with something. Here's the number one area I'm growing in, in counsel. And I think, I think this is something that affects all of us. When we give counsel, we need to slow down. Too many people are too quick or too hasty to give advice that winds up being too cheap. Right? We can be so quick, such a hurry, that we just give a thoughtless blurb and send people on their way. For it to be counsel, it's got to be good counsel. For it to be good counsel, it's got to be godly counsel. How do we give good godly counsel? How do we slow down? Here's a thought. Here's a framework. Here's a framework I found to be so helpful. When someone comes with an issue, a problem, a question, or when we see that face and we know something is off, can we enter into it and say, hey, tell me more. I want to hear about this. Can we ask good questions to draw people outside of themselves? Hey, when you say this, do you mean this? Hey, I'm hearing this. Is that what you're saying? Hey, I see three different possibilities here. Which one is it? Help me to understand. The more we chisel away at the hunk of marble and bring out the statue of their problem, the better our counsel will be. And when you can say to somebody, hey, 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 is this the issue? But is this the real issue? And is this what's bothering you? And is this what's really bothering you? And is this the impact in your life? And they go, check, check, check. Yeah, you get me. You know that moment where they, and their shoulders drop, and it's like, finally, someone gets me? Then move into, can we think about this this way instead? Can we speak this way? Instead, hey, hey, what if you tried this? Wouldn't you reflect Jesus so much better in this situation? Do you see how listening and slowing down helps us to give good counsel? Christian, a biblical view of friendship means that we must offer counsel. There is constancy, there is candor, there is counsel. What's our fourth and final one? It is this, we must be considerate. We must be considerate. Where do we find that in the book of Proverbs? Go with me to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 11. Chapter 22, verse 11. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's 21. Here we go, slow day. All right, he who loves purity of heart, when our heart is right, but also when our speech is gracious, when we are considerate in our words, we will have even the king for a friend. We will be so in demand. Our friendship will be so sought after and so valued. Kings and rulers will want and value deep friendship with us. We must be considerate. What does it mean? It means that with candor, we must be willing to offend. But with being considerate, we must not bring unnecessary offense. You see the difference between the two? We don't speak in such a way to bring unnecessary offense. This means we don't just think about what we're saying, we think about how we are saying it. We're thinking about how our tone, how our demeanor, how our posture will help show that we are for somebody. We don't just blurt out bluntly whatever comes to mind. 
It means that we don't just speak freely and not weigh the impact, not just of our words, but how it's being received. This means we put thought. We put thought into our content. We put thought into our delivery. If I may say, being from the South, we struggle with candor, but we're really good at being considerate. In California, on the West Coast, parts of Seattle and Tacoma, I noticed that they too were good at being considerate, not always great with candor. In the Midwest, I think we kind of flipped that around. We're really good at candor, aren't we? Better than Texans. Don't tell them I said that. That was funny. You can laugh. But can we work on being considerate sometimes? Can we watch out for that? Yes. And why? Why does it matter? It matters because your Father in heaven speaks the truth, but he speaks the truth in love. He speaks the truth in love. When someone comes to you, when someone comes to you and they understand they're in need, they understand they've messed up, when they are there and you can tell the heart is on board, this isn't just I got caught, but man, oh man, I need some help, I'm in trouble. The Bible calls that person a bruised reed, a stalk that has grown up out of a riverbed that has received a bruise, just like a bruised banana. The Bible says our Father and our Savior are gods whom, of whom, a bruised reed they will not break. They will bind up and they will heal. That's who your father is. That's who your savior is. We must speak in ways that bring healing. We must reflect their tough side, but also their tender side as well. To be sure, our God uses harsh words in the Bible, but they are reserved for people who are hard-hearted. We must be considerate, especially when a person is soft-hearted and seeking help. Friends, we must have constancy, we must have candor, we must bring counsel, we must be considerate. All in all, I hope you see that when we look at the Proverbs, when we look at the theme of friendship in the book of Proverbs, we aren't just called to make deep friendships, we get help with how to do it. Before we move on to our third point, can we just stop and do a quick check? Do you see how in learning that we need deep friendships that edified our head? Do you see in learning how to make friendships, we've given our hands, our mouths, skills that they need. We can have the know-how, we can have the knowledge, but don't our hearts also sometimes need the motivation? Let's go to our third point. What is our third point? We need to be grounded in the deepest friendship possible. Why? Because we have been hurt by friends. Some of us keep getting hurt by friends. It can get hard to keep at it and to keep trying, can't it? Moreover, we have let friends down. We have to confront failure as we've tried to make friends. The awkwardness, the messiness, not even just failure, but sometimes it's just a mistake, but it can get discouraging and we don't want to try. Our heart needs strength, needs hope, needs the motivation, and where is that going to come from? Oh, friends, when we are grounded in the deepest possible friendship, that we, through faith, have friendship with Jesus, who has brought us into friendship with God the Father, we see we have the deepest possible friendship. We see that we have the resources. We see that we have the strength. Can we go back to Proverbs 18.24 for a minute? Can we look there? Can we camp there at the man of many companions? 
Was our Savior Jesus not a man who grew, drew great crowds? Did they not flock to him when he was healing? Did they not flock to him when he would feed them? Was he not useful to them? Right? He was a man of many companions. But did those companions keep him from falling into ruin? No, they did not. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26. Let's go to verse 50. Who was it who betrayed Jesus? When he was seized, when he was arrested, who was it? Say the word. It starts with an F. Been talking about it a lot. It was his friend, Judas. And what about his other friends? Did they keep him from going down into the ruin of the cross? No. Just go six verses later, Matthew 26, 56. The disciples, his friends, abandoned him and left him. He is the man of many companions who has gone down into ruin. But why? Why? Why did he go down? Why was he smashed? Why was he beaten up? Why was he burst apart at the cross? Because... He is the one who loves. He is the friend who loves and sticks closer to his people, closer than a brother. Let me show you again. Go with me to John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his, say it, his friends, Jesus Christ went down into ruin and was smashed. Why? So that we could be friends with him. Why? Because he showed his deep friendship to us. And then look at verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, but when we have faith in Jesus, he calls us what? Friends. What a glorious truth. What a glorious word, friends. Do you struggle? Do you struggle to do what the Bible commands when it comes to friendship? Do you struggle to be a deep, true friend? Do you struggle when someone else is in adversity? Do you struggle to represent our God through constancy, through candor, through counsel, and through being considerate? Do you struggle with those things? Well, know this. Despite your struggles, despite your failures, you have a friend in Jesus. Where you and I have failed, where we have created adversity for others, where we have ignored their adversity. He has stuck with you so much, he was willing to go be stuck to the cross to secure our forgiveness. Moreover, where you and I have not just hurt other people, but where we've known hurt from other people, look to the cross. Why? Jesus was abandoned at the cross by his so-called friends. He knows what you're going through. He gets it. He gets it deeper than you ever will. Jesus stuck with them, however. He showed them what true friendship was like. He did not give up on them. If you are here and you've been hurt by people in the church, may I put out there, don't give up on God's people just like Jesus Christ did not give up on you. And here's the catch. We've turned our back on Jesus even if we've been hurt by other people and he's still stuck with us. Oh, friends, we've got to look to the cross. And when we do, we see the empty tomb. We see the resurrection. We see the ascension. We see him sending the Holy Spirit. And now, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is always available, always spiritually present in our lives, even if he is not physically there. We can always go to him in the word. We can always go to him in prayer. We can always trust that because it is finished, he will never love you less. He will never let you go. He is stuck with you. I'm sorry to be cliche, but like white on rice. 
Even when this world lets you down, he is present. He is there. He does not abandon you. He's like Velcro. You can trust that he's there, sticking to you like a brother and even closer than a brother. As a friend, when you are grounded in this deepest relationship, this deepest friendship possible, do you see how your heart can overcome those barriers to not wanting to put forth the effort, not wanting to try to go and pursue deep friendships and living out those four C's? When you understand the gospel, you really want to live out the call of the book of Proverbs. And you, as you do this, will make Grace Church, your neighborhood, your work environment, your school environment, a place where God's wisdom can be put on display as you create and cultivate and maintain deep friendships. What is our response to the gospel that makes us friends with God? It is this. We go out into this week grounded in the knowledge that I have all the friendship I will ever need because I have a friend in Jesus. And that right there will give you the motivation, the strength, and the hope to pursue deep friendships and to go make them and maintain them by living with people in constancy, in candor, with counsel, while being considerate. Grace, does that sound good? Let's pray. Please bow. Oh, Father God, Father God, you have befriended us. What an amazing concept. Father, of the 1,426 people that we know of in the Old Testament, only two got to call you friend, Moses and Abraham. Now because your son has come, remove the veil, gone to the cross, risen on the third day, we get to call you friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Father, please help us to see this. Please help us to treasure this. Father, please help us to want other people to come into this friendship with you through faith in Jesus. Father, please use us to build deep community of deep friendships here at Grace. Please let our community groups be marked by this. Please help people join our community groups and try try on these four C's. Try on the gospel understanding of friendship. And Father, please use this to help us call the lost to your son. We love you, Father. We praise you. We ask that you be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.